Well, good morning. Uh, we have available for you out at the Impact Gazebo this morning in the courtyard uh, an invitation. If you would like to grab a few, maybe you would invite them to come to the service next Sunday, maybe somebody from work, somebody in your neighborhood. Simply a way, again, sometimes all it takes is a personal invitation for somebody to take a step. And so lots of folks who don't necessarily normally attend church do so on an Easter Sunday, and you can be confident that if you would invite someone here, uh, that they would hear a simple but clear presentation of the gospel. So grab one of those and invite someone, or simply just verbally invite them uh, next coming Sunday. So when the scripture says in 1 Corinthians 15, I want you to think about this specific for this week, okay? We're not jumping into the message yet. The scripture says, for I delivered to you as of first importance. So when you think about life, when you think about our faith, there is something that is of first importance. And he says, it's what I received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. So When it comes to our faith, what is of first importance? His death, his burial, and his resurrection. We we often leave out the burial, but the burial is the proof that he was dead. Because some people think, well, he was just unconscious. That's why he wasn't really raised from dead. He just regained consciousness. So his death, burial, and resurrection, that is of first importance to our faith. And I simply bring that to our attention because as we go into this week, as in our worship, we remember the triumphal entry. We confess that in our own hearts, the Hosanna can turn to crucify him. That, that we would prioritize that which is of first importance. And so I, wanna, I want to raise in your thinking, remembering with us the death of Christ, not just Friday, because last year I was very grateful as a body you caught. If there's ever a time we're going to gather for a special time, it would be remembering of first importance. And you know, we don't put a lot of extra stuff in evening services on you. But I do want to elevate in your thinking this week, remembering the death of Christ together. And so we couldn't do it all in just this room last year on Friday night. Some had to go over and kind of watch video. So here's what we're going to do this year. Thursday night and Friday night are going to be the same service remembering the death of Christ in this South Auditorium, 7 o'clock Thursday and Friday. So I invite you, I would actually ask you on this one. It might be really nice and you'll be tempted to go, oh, it's so nice. I just want to have been a long way. I just want to hang out. Uh, There are things that rise to the top in life. And when it comes to our faith, Nothing rises to the top more than remembering the death, burial, and resurrection. So this is a huge week for us, and I think it should be reflected in our schedule. So talk together and and decide when you might come, whether Thursday or Friday, and we'll remember together. And then next week on Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, we'll have 8 o'clock, 9, 30, and 11 in both north and south, typically... 9.30, the middle hour is our largest hour on Easter 
So one year I asked folks to come to eight o'clock and then everybody did, so now I'm a little um, <laughs> concerned about doing that. Um, so let's say it this way. It, <laughs> try and spread yourselves out, figure it out. All right, no, um, <laughs> eight o'clock north and south, sometimes 11 o'clock now becomes the, the lightest one because everybody's got to get on to lunch. So uh, 8, 9, 30, and 11, both service, both venues next week. Uh, this is of first importance. This is when it comes down to our faith. Nothing trumps the death, burial, and resurrection of our Savior. So hope you'll be with us to remember and celebrate together. As we do so, now, now this is not subtle. This is a transition into the message. What we celebrate and remember Thursday and Friday and Sunday, the disciples, when they first heard of it, couldn't fathom it. They could not, even though Jesus said it plainly, they couldn't capture it. And that's what we're going to look at today when Jesus first told them about this. Mark chapter 8, we're going to look at Jesus encountering what I'm simply calling competing thoughts, thoughts going in opposite directions, as we'll see. Mark chapter 8, It says this in verse 31, and he, that is Jesus, began to teach them, that is the 12, that the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. So the very thing that we will be remembering this coming weekend, he, notice this word, he is beginning to teach. So in other words, let me frame this for you. He has been with them. They have been following Jesus for more than two years now. And now he began to teach them, which begs the question, why now? You ever had something that you knew you needed to communicate, but you're always thinking, when's the right time? When's the right time? When's the right time? And if it's bad news... It's really, really hard, right? Because you don't want to ruin a good moment. No, this isn't a good time. Well, this is a bad moment, so I can't, there's never a good time. Ever been there? There is, with Jesus and his disciples, two years, more than two years in, he introduces something to them. What we'll be remembering this week. That he is going to suffer. Why now? Why did he choose now? Well, do you remember what just happened with Jesus and his disciples from what we've talked about for the last three weeks? What had Jesus just done? He had introduced the church. He had introduced to them that You are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. And I give you, Peter, the keys to the kingdom. What have you loosed on earth? Been loosed in heaven. What have you bound on earth? Has been bound in heaven. So he had just introduced to them the church. Do you remember why he had introduced the church to them? See, I'm tracing you back. There's a reason for why Jesus did this now, why he began now. He he introduced the church to him for what reason? Because remember he had said, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you're the Christ. And Jesus said, whoa, you didn't figure that one out and your God revealed that to you. So track with me now. Who am I? 
you're the Christ. Oh, so the who question after two years has been answered. You're the Christ. What am I going to do? I'm going to build my church. He begins to teach this now. For what reason? What, what question is answering? The who has been answered. The what has been answered. What's he answering now? How? That's right. There's a reason that Jesus introduces what's going to happen to him now. Because who he is has been clarified. What he's going to do has been introduced. And now he indicates how. And he says, there's four things that are going to happen to me. He reveals his future. He says, I'm going to suffer. I will. Not I might. I will suffer many things. And when you get to the death of Christ and the beating of Christ, the torture of Christ, you understand, I will suffer many things. Second, I will. I will be rejected. And he specifically identifies by whom. I'm going to be rejected by the elders, by the chief priest, by the scribes, those who are the important people in religious circles. They're going to reject me. What's the third? I will. I will. Verse 31, I will be killed, not die. (laughs) Big difference. I will be killed. And then he reveals, I will rise from the dead. So as we, as we hear and we write those four things down of what Jesus says is going to happen in his future, they don't blow our minds. We kind of ho-hum, write them down. But that is not the experience that the disciples would have had. In fact, this would be more like the experience the disciples had. Can I tell you about my future? Here's my future. I'm building a rocket. And I'm going to put my family on it, and we're going to Mars. And we're going to build a nation of rutlets. And then we're going to return and conquer Earth. Why do you laugh? What, really? Why do you laugh? Because that's crazy, right? You think, whatever you're taking, Doug, you need to stop it right now. Because that is not going to happen. That's, that's what you're thinking, right? Even the way I set it up, you're going, as soon as I said build a rocket, you think, really build a rocket? And then when I said I'm going to Mars, you knew I was out of my mind. And that you were not with me anymore. Precisely how you dismissed, some of you never even bought in. But precisely the way you just dismissed what I said is how the disciples would have felt what Jesus said when he said, hey, I'm going to suffer and be rejected and I'm going to be killed and then I'm going to rise again. Now, why would they dismiss that as crazy? Because he had just affirmed, I'm the Christ, the son of the living God. I'm going to build my church. What about all that stuff? You see, they would have completely dismissed. Now, if you would have laughed and I had gotten mad at you for laughing at my rocket plan of conquering the earth 
And, and you went, do you really believe? Yes, I believe it. I, I will do this. I will do this. I will do this. And, and I was fully convinced. And I said it to you very plainly. <laughs> what would you do? Yeah, that's, you'd cuff me, right, yeah. If you, would, well, you might go, well, I'm not going to that church anymore. Or if you actually genuinely loved me, you might grab me afterwards and go, hey, hey, Doug, really, you seem like really committed to that plan. You understand that's not going to happen. You would pull me aside, wouldn't you? If you really cared about me, you wouldn't just dismiss me. You wouldn't just, you go, no, you, you got to understand what's happening. Right? Sometimes we read the scripture, we don't make it real, we don't enter into real life enough. What, what, what happens, what I would hope you would do for me if I thought really what was going to happen to me was crazy, you'd tell me so. That's exactly what happens in the text. Verse 32, what happens? Jesus spoke plainly to him, but it says, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Now, we can all scoff. Peter, what an idiot. What a dummy. Who rebukes Jesus? Was Peter confused? No, he wasn't confused. He was absolutely clearly convinced Jesus was was wrong. In fact, it tells us specifically the words of his rebuking. In Matthew chapter 16, what, what he said to him was to Jesus, God forbid it, Lord, this shall, say it with me, never, this shall never happen to you. See, He's not confused. He's clear. I heard what you said, and that's not happening. You're the Christ, Son of the living God. You see, what's going on here is Jesus saying, here's where I'm headed. And Peter going, no way, no way. That would not happen to you. It's not crazy what Peter did. In fact, in fact, as the morning unfolds today, you might go, oh, I'm a lot more like Peter than I ever thought. Which is not a pleasant thought because what does Jesus say to the rebuker? <laughs> Get behind me, Satan. <laughs> wow. What, what, whatever happened to, well, you're a little off, Peter. This is a little more kind. Hey, I'm not sure you're like, tracking with me. Get behind me, Satan. <laughs> because you realize, we just said, he told him this is going to happen because he had just introduced the church. And when he had introduced the church, what had Jesus done for Peter? He had said, hey, Peter, man, here's the keys. And it gets lost in lots of translations. But you know what, you know what Jesus says right after he says, get behind me, Satan? He says to him, and give me back the keys. 
No, he doesn't. He doesn't really say that. <laughs> but that'd be, hey, have you ever given somebody based on what they had done that you gave them keys and then they did something like stupid and you were like, okay, give me back the keys. Or maybe you were that person. You had been given keys and then you got them taken back from you. That's kind of the way we would see this. But, but here, this is, I think there's something very personal, very powerful as we think about our own journey with Christ that's happening. He doesn't say, by the way, he doesn't say, give me back the keys. But does he, does he say, get behind me, Satan? Yes or no? So he really does say that to Peter. Get behind me, Satan. Is it really Satan? Is he demon-possessed? Okay, Peter's not demon-possessed. So, so what's he saying to Peter? Peter, right now when you say that never, 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 never junk, you sound like Satan. When he says, get behind me, Satan, he's saying, Peter, you sound like Satan right now. In other words, what's coming out of your mouth is of the same ilk, of the same flavor that came out of the mouth of Satan. And I would suggest to you, when he tempted me in the wilderness. If you're not familiar... Matthew chapter 4 records where Satan very directly, very specifically, and personally tempted Jesus in the wilderness. The setup had been, it tells us in Matthew 4, that after he, Jesus, had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he became hungry. Which is one of the, less, one of the more obvious statements in Scripture. I mean, really, have you, have you ever fasted? The, this year... We have, as a staff, chosen a couple days. Tomorrow again will be one of them. We've chosen to fast for 30 hours. And then we break the fast with a meal together Tuesday lunch. And it's what starts our staff meeting. Do you know that staff never come to staff meeting on time except for that Tuesday? <laughs> They're like, let's meet. Can we start early? And that's 30 hours, 40 days. And he became hungry. So what's Satan say to Jesus? If you are the son of God, now Paul's right there. Can you remo remove a word from there? Yeah, so Satan's, not in, Satan's not unaware here. You could take it right off here. His if is a point, not because he's confused about the identity of Jesus. He's saying, uh, you could read it, because you are. Because you're the son of God, command that these stones become bread. Why would Jesus be tempted to do that? <laughs> Obviously, he's hungry. When, when Peter says, Jesus, never are you going to be killed and never are you going to be rejected. Never are you going to suffer. On what basis? You're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. You have your rights. Peter sounds like Satan did in the wilderness. And he says, it's your right to satisfy your desires, Jesus. 
You're the son of God. You're hungry. Just tell stones to become bread. Eat. Now, now I can begin to go, oh, you ever sound like Satan? You? It's your right to be angry. It's your right to withhold forgiveness from them. I understand it. It's your right to be bitter. I mean, maybe you let them off the hook sometime, but not now. I'd be too soon. It's your right. Have you ever told somebody it's their right to do something that the scripture says it's not their right to do? Sure. It's often what friends do when friends are in hard places. They want to give them permission to either be bitter or to be unforgiving. Oh, it's your money. Do whatever you want with it. It's your body. Oh. You know what? At that moment, we sound like Satan. Oh. And sometimes we sound like Satan the most to ourselves. Because you, you may have never, ever told somebody else, you don't have to forgive them. You've just told yourself that. Oh, I don't need to, not yet. I mean, I might, maybe. We'll see. The jury's still out. <laughs> and you're the jury. You ever told yourself, I have the right to be angry. Hey, men, you ever told yourself, I have the right to look at porn. My wife's withholding from me. I have the right to live my own life. (laughs) My my spouse is living their own life. I have a right to live my own life. See, we give ourselves permission to do stuff based on our rights, even though the Scripture doesn't give us permission. Jesus is in the wilderness, led by the Spirit, fasting. (laughs) And Satan says, come on, you're the Son of God. Just take some stones and eat. We tell ourselves. We are often guilty of sounding like Satan to ourselves. we, We just need to say, this sounds weird, But we need to say to ourselves, (laughs) I sound like Satan to me right now, giving myself rights that the scripture doesn't give me. So Jesus says, uh, very clear, (laughs) man shouldn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. In other words, I don't live by my personal desires and I don't live by my personal rights. I live by according to what the scripture says. And sometimes the scripture says, I don't have the right to satisfy that desire. And that's what I live by. Satan goes on and says to him, if you're the son of God, this is actually pretty cool, top of the temple, way up. 
If you're the son of God, throw yourself down. Launch yourself. On what basis would you do such foolishness? Well, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands, they'll bear you up so that you'll not strike your foot. They'll catch you. Just jump, and they'll catch you. And notice, Jesus doesn't say, no, 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 that's not the promise. He says, don't test the Lord your God. Don't abuse the promises of God. Do you know that oftentimes we take the promises of God and we try to flip them so that rather than God promising to us, actually what happens is this, that that God becomes as if he is our servant. He's supposed to, I, I, I live my life the way I want to. I launch however I want to. And then his promises that he should keep me from splattering. This is how we sell Jesus in America. That God serves us. Makes us healthy, wealthy, and prosperous. Now you may go, oh no, not, not me. I, wouldn't. I, I don't think God's my servant. Here's... Here's the kicker, folks. When life doesn't go your way, because it doesn't always go your way, does it? Life doesn't always go my way. In the moments when God gives me what I don't want, what comes out of me? Clenched or... I praise you, Lord. I trust you. I give you thanks in all thanks. You and I, here's when I know I have bought the lie that God is to be my servant is when I refuse to praise him when life doesn't go my way. Because he's supposed to make my life go the way I want it. No, I have been bought with the price. I am not my own. I am the servant of the Lord. And therefore, the servant says to the master, thank you. Thank you. Really, one of the most powerful things you might do this morning in response to the Lord Jesus is to say, God, I've had a clenched fist about what's going on in my life and I simply want to say, I've gotten the chairs reversed. I'm your servant. You're not my servant. I give you praise for what you're doing in my life. I trust you. That's hard to do at times. That's a lot easier to stand and say than it is to actually give praise when life's hard. So then the third temptation of Satan directly to Jesus 
says, again, the devil took him, Jesus, to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he says to Jesus, all these things I'll give to you. All you got to do is fall down and worship me. Now, let me ask you a question. Does the scripture say that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord? Do you know where it says that? Well, it's repeated in Philippians chapter 2. And it says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord and that it'll be given to him. Do you know why? It says because he humbled himself, he emptied himself, and he was obedient even to death, death on a cross, and therefore God highly exalted him so that the feet of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess. So if you understand what Satan is saying here, he's saying, hey, I'll give you it all. What don't you have to do? You don't have to go to the cross. You can have what you want without the cost. Specifically in the life of Jesus, that means you can have what you want apart from the cross. I give you the kingdom. You don't have to die on the cross. Just bow down and worship me. <laughs> and th this concept, this lie permeates every aspect of our life. I mean, how many of us want what we want without the cost? <laughs> yes. I would love to be trim and still eat all the cheesecake I wanted. Wouldn't that be awesome? Sure, I'd love to be fit, but never actually have to sweat. That'd be awesome. I'd love to have healthy, loving relationships where I didn't actually have to give anything I could just receive. That'd be sweet. It's just that does, that's not the way life works. Actually, I'd really, and I think you would too, I think you'd really like to have a close relationship, a sense of intimacy with God. You'd like that. I just don't really want to roll out of bed early and read my Bible. There's, there's so many things, and obviously, we're talking about rolling about it rolling out of bed early, and Jesus is talking about the cross. So they're not even deals here. <laughs> but I'm, you understand, we all believe, we all want to live by the lie that we can have what we want without paying the cost. And when we believe, hey, it's my right to satisfy my desires. When we believe that God should serve us. When we believe I can get what I want and not have to pay the cost, what do we need to learn to say to ourselves? <laughs> get behind me, Satan. We need, to learn to, we need to learn to say this because watch what Jesus says. He says, get behind me, Satan. Not because Peter was Satan, but because Peter was reflecting the very, he was sounding like the very one who had tempted him. 
And then he says this, for you are not setting, and watch this, you're not setting your mind on what God is interested in. You're setting your mind on what? What people are interested in. So, and I'm going to be very specific about this. Jesus is revealing two radically different mindsets. He's talking about there's a mindset of man and there's a mindset of God. And it comes to the surface in this encounter when Jesus says, I'm going to suffer and be rejected and be killed and then rise again. And Peter says, what? Never. Never. Because of what? You have set your mind on the interest of man. Specifically, now don't, very specifically, when it comes to suffering and rejection, which is simply relational suffering, when it comes to suffering and rejection, what is the mindset of man? What Peter say? Never, never, never. The mindset, we all have it is, avoid it at all cost. It's funny, people will say, well, I don't really like confrontation. And always a good question behind it is, well, who really loves confrontation? Bullies. So, it's, it's built into us, into our thinking, that when it comes to suffering, when it comes to rejection, we, we try to craft lives that avoid such things. Now, take you back. How long has Peter been walking with Jesus? Two plus years now. In other words, I'm acknowledging before us today that this is not Christianity 101. So if you're brand new to the faith, you may be going, whew, this is like some really heavy stuff calling people Satan and these lies that you're talking about. This is heavy stuff. It's saying that, that I mean, who doesn't avoid suffering and rejection at all cost? Who doesn't do that? Well, Jesus for one. And he is suggesting and beginning to introduce to his disciples, this is not the way we do it in our kingdom. So I'm simply acknowledging before us that this is a growth area. But maybe you've been walking with the Lord, you'd go, oh, a lot more than two plus years. I've been walking with the Lord for 20 years, and I still try to avoid suffering and rejection at all costs. Simple, simple, very plain to you, we need to grow up on this. I need to grow up on this. The fact that it would happen to Jesus is what blew Peter's mind. Jesus had already introduced this idea. 
If you go back to Matthew chapter 5, and I invite you to turn there, Matthew chapter 5, this is right after, in the chronology of Jesus and what he's doing, this is right after he has chosen his disciples. He sits them down, and he gives what we, you, you and I call the Beatitudes, the the attitudes for those who are to live in the kingdom of God. And he says, blessed, verse 10 and 11, after is the, the, the last of the attitudes, the last of the blesseds, he says, blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you. Now let's just pause. Is that not radical teaching? Is that not radical thought? I mean, really, how many of us, when we're insulted, when we're lied about, when we're gossiped against, when we suffer rejection, when we're persecuted, do we immediately go, man, God has blessed me? No, what do we say? Oh, God blessed me, and then we name really happy good stuff. You see, there's a growing up for us here. Jesus isn't saying, Peter, you're Satan. Jesus is saying, you still sound like Satan who appeals to the interest of man. I'm building my church in, and you need to see things differently. I need to see things differently. We need to see things differently. See things differently at work. See things differently in our neighbors. See things differently in our family. That there is a, a suffering and a rejection, but don't miss. That is a blessing. But specifically, what's the last three words here? Because of me. So uh, let's not be obnoxious, rude people and then blame our rejection on Jesus. No, there is a, there's a commitment to righteousness. There's a commitment to obedience. There's a commitment to forgiveness. There's a, for, a commitment to letting people off the hook. That people would say, don't do that. They're going to push you. They're going to make you pay. And you go, no. For me to forgive and then be hurt again and forgive and be hurt again, that's a blessing. What? It's a blessing. For people to be, to insult me, for my obedience, to the scriptures, that's a blessing. We, I'm not saying that sunny days aren't blessings and that happy families aren't blessing. It's just we have narrowed, we have labeled blessing far more narrow than Jesus labels blessing. 
when it's because of me. So th- this is a little graduate level stuff for us. Because Jesus is two years in with his disciples. He's introducing the church. He said, I'm going to build it. And you know what? He's going to build his church. And it's going to be upon a lot of people who, are, who suffer for it and are rejected for it. See, this is, this is teaching that he began because this is part of the church being built. And if we're going to be with Jesus and in step with Jesus, we're going to have to be willing to recognize there's going to be cost to it. There's going to be a cost in my family. There might be cost with my kids. Either rejection by them, from them, or a releasing of them that they suffer in ways that I don't really want them to, but that comes with their obedience. See, this is graduate level stuff. You with me? To begin to see and label that which you and I would not normally label blessing as blessing. To, to normally go that which we would avoid at all costs, we would, re, we would replace with, but because of him, because of Jesus, we would see it differently. Because it's a blessing, we would rejoice and be glad. For your reward in heaven is great in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. In other words, when this happens, recognize you're actually in really good company. Now let me acknowledge before you. This is not how we sell Jesus in America. Blessed are you as you suffer for him. Blessed is you are insulted for Jesus. Blessed is you are you are rejected by your coworkers and by your neighbors or by your family because of him. But this is this is what Jesus is teaching his disciples as he introduces this is how the church will be built. The mindset of God is what? Not avoid at all costs, but when it comes very specifically to suffering and rejection, what's the mindset of God? Blessing. It's a blessing. But don't miss it. Don't miss the clarifier. A blessing when it's when it's for Jesus and the gospel, for righteousness sake for the kingdom sake see Peter said never 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 and that's sometimes the lie we live by no I should not have to I should not have to deny my rights I shouldn't have to deny my desires being satisfied God should serve me When we look at Peter and we see what he was sounding like Satan, then we look and, and we fix our eyes on Jesus. Watch, who the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Did what with the shame? Despised it. 
and I sat down at the right hand of, sorry, the throne of God. Huh. You see, Jesus saw what Peter didn't. Jesus saw what you and I are to be growing into, that we would see not never, 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 but we would see blessing as God calls blessing. So I want us to, as we remember the death that Jesus endured, I want us to ask ourselves, Jesus, am I living the lie that it's my right to satisfy my desires? Jesus, am I living the lie that that you should serve me? Jesus, am I living the lie that I should have what I want without the cost? Believe in that lie in any way? The men are going to pass, come and pass the bread and the cup. They're the simple reminders of the death that Jesus endured as a blessing. And as we remember his death, I want us to take a few moments, and there's just going to be quietness in the room. Shirley playing quietly behind us. I want us to ask ourselves these questions, because we're all prone to believe these lies and to live by them. If you find yourself living by any of these lies, Acknowledge it to the Lord and say, Lord, I confess I need to grow up. It's not truth. It's a lie. If nothing comes to your mind, I invite you to ask the Spirit of God, bring to my mind where I am believing that lie. That we might really be in step with Jesus. Like thoughts instead of competing thoughts. So have that time of confession, and then I'll lead us in taking it in a moment.
Father, as we hold these elements in our hands, we say thank you that your son didn't run from suffering, didn't avoid it at all cost. We rejoice and are glad that He was willing to be broken on our behalf and to shed his blood so that our sin could be forgiven. So that we could become your children. Lord, we at core just confess that as your children, we often don't have your mind when it comes to suffering. trying to get away from what you endured and be glad for what you did but don't want to do it ourselves. And so Lord, we confess, confess that inconsistency. I ask that you would grow us up to see it the way you see it, to endure as you endured, to rejoice in what you rejoiced in that we would have your mind about such things. To the praise of your glory, we take in remembrance of you in Christ's name. Would you stand with me and I want us to declare a prayer inviting when I just prayed that the the mind of Christ would be that which is our mind. Let's declare this together. May the mind of Christ my
the reality is that uh, the result, the only way I should say that we know God more and more is often in suffering. Pain is a teacher like no other teacher. And so uh, this week, maybe more than any other week, we ought to remember that. It's first importance is what? Christ died, was buried, and rose on the third day, the very thing that he began to teach them. And so can I encourage you just again, Thursday or Friday, will you join us to remember the death of Christ, his suffering, so that we could have life. And then Saturday, we're going to be inviting the community for that egg glow to do what they do, but that we would have opportunity to talk about what is of first importance, the, the love of God for us. And so we could still use some folks who would volunteer, who would provide candy to be able to give away, but most of all to come and to be available for conversations, to be Christ to the community that he's placed us in. That's 10 o'clock on Saturday and then on Sunday to celebrate that he not only died, but that he rose again that in him we have life and life more abundantly. He's our savior. He's our leader. He suffered and it is our privilege to follow Jesus. If we can pray with you this morning, that'd really be our privilege as well. Maybe you are suffering and and you need to know, I want to give thanks. I haven't given thanks. I want to give thanks. So out my left, you're right around the corner over in north, straight out the back. Men and women who would pray with you this morning. That'd be our pleasure. God bless.